Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. We will halve inflation, grow the economy, reduce debt. Nothing's changed. The circus moves on, rinse and repeat. We have an opportunity to become Europe's Silicon Valley. We can perhaps be a broker of some sort with Ukraine. We expect inflation to come off quite rapidly in the rest of this year. Obviously, we want to see that happen. What we now need is a period of stable, quiet, serious government. You're listening to Bloomberg UK Politics. I'm Stephen Carroll. And I'm Tom McKenzie. Tom, it's not often that we have the pleasure of your company for this programme, which makes me think something is either very right or very wrong. It is a rare pleasure indeed, and the pleasure is all he mine. He says that the with a straight face. Of course, is all mine. Yeah, well, we'll focus, of course, on inflation, higher prices, and what it means for the politics of the UK. Top line inflation coming off a little bit. We were talking to grocers yesterday, looking at supermarkets cutting prices, but we had the CPI print out today. Yeah, so the number, as you say, coming down between June and July, the headline inflation print, so the all-encompassing one and the uh, the top line for the price rise measurements for consumers in the UK, that coming down from 7.9% last month to 6.8% this month. So a little bit higher than we had expected. It's still going in the right direction. And this is one of those stories that, like when we talked about the wage data yesterday, wages going up for most people is good news in the same way that the pace of price rises coming down is also good news. Unless, of course, you're the Bank of England and worried is wages are going up too fast and prices are not coming down fast enough. And that is where we dig into the core element of inflation, which strips out the more volatile elements like food and energy as well. And it's generally down to a fall in energy cost that's led to this. But I love the detail in these figures because I like learning about things like, for example, the largest uh, negative contributions to inflation, the things that are dropping in price the most most milk, bread, crumpets, pizzas and breakfast cereals. Wait, did you say crumpets? I did say crumpets. Because only the UK inflation print would be measuring the price of crumpets. I love that that's in our basket of goods. I wonder how much of this is down. So part of it's supply chains, isn't it? It's part, of it? part of it is people cutting back. People are not cutting back on milk, presumably. Maybe it's an effect of the likes of Lidl and Aldi pushing prices down. We talked about the fact yesterday they are taking more and more of the market share as well. But the crumpet indicator is now, it seems, consequential for us, Steve. Yes, indeed. And uh, we should be really eating them while we're talking about this. Um, but we have a full show dedicated to the detail of these prints and what you need to know about what we've learned from this latest piece of economic data. One of the things that we'll bring up in our conversation in just a moment is going to be the importance of services inflation and why that matters to the Bank of England and what they're going to do next about interest rates. But good news on inflation is something the government are very keen to trumpet. They are indeed. From crumpets Maybe to trumpets. From crumpets to trumpets. I like how you did that. Maybe a bit of a stretch with the government claiming all the success on inflation coming down. They might want to look, as you say, to the BOE. But then, of course, you tie the thread between the Bank of England, which is expected to have to hike rates further because inflation remains uh, pretty, pretty sticky here in the UK. And you tie that thread to house prices, the housing market and our mortgages as well. That is practically our full bingo of our favourite subjects on this programme, Tom. It's like you're doing it every day. Uh, let's bring you, though, what the government has said about this latest inflation print. Bloomberg's Manus Cranny spoke to the UK Treasury Secretary Gareth Davies earlier and started by asking him if he's concerned after today's figures. Today's figures 
as you were reporting, uh, has, for inflation has come down significantly. I think that will be met with some relief by a lot of families and businesses across the country. We've seen a significant reduction. I think it's the lowest level of headline inflation uh, since February last year. But as you allude to, we're not out of the woods yet. We've got a long way to go and we've got to stick with the plan. I think inflation reached nearly 11% last year. And while it's come down significantly from that point, it's really incumbent on the Treasury, on this government to stick with the plan, to make sure that we're making responsible public finance decisions and that we make sure that fiscal policies aligned uh, with monetary policy at our independent Bank of England will we'll continue to do that. Um, and we're certainly not complacent despite the significant reduction announced today. Look, yes, it has dropped. Uh, there's no doubt about it. But we, you have the worst inflation in the G7. The Office of Budget Responsibility says that you're in a very tricky footing at the moment. Is this government prepared to go further and cut services, cut costs? I mean, the OBR says you're going to need to do tax rises and cuts equivalent to 4.4% of GDP. Is there a political palatability to do that to tame inflation? We've got a plan that uh, includes ensuring that inflation is our number one target the, the, in terms of priority for the Prime Minister, getting that down uh, by a half uh, this year. Most of the forecasters believe that we will see that happen. The IMF, OBR and Bank of England all expect inflation to come down significantly this year. You talk about other countries, it, it is a global phenomenon driven by uh, post-pandemic uh, situations on supply chains and, of course, the war in Ukraine. So we're not alone in having high inflation. Um, it is coming down. We need to stick with that plan. One of the things that we can do is ensure that our fiscal policy is aligned with the Bank of England's monetary policy. That means taking uh, tough decisions when it comes to public sector pay, for example. We've taken action to hold down energy prices with fr uh, frozen fuel duty. Uh, so we are taking what the IMF have called decisive action. We just need to keep going with that and we'll see inflation come down overall. Andrew Bailey, you talk about alignment between monetary policy and fiscal policy. Andrew Bailey has made it clear that higher inflation or inflation spiral, as it would appear that we are in, um, is going to mean higher rates from the Monetary Policy Committee. Are you, are you concerned that higher rates could invoke a, a pretty hard landing, a, a, a recession? Well, nobody wants a recession. We've been very clear that critical to ensuring that we can grow our economy and avoid a recession is to get inflation down. And the Bank of England have been clear that in a year's time, if we stick with the plan, inflation will be around 3% while avoiding a, a recession. We've seen a major upgrade to our growth forecasts by the IMF, OBR and the Bank of England. You know, I remember not so long ago, a lot of the forecasters were saying that we would enter a recession by now. That hasn't happened. Uh, but we do need to ensure that you know, the driving factor here is getting inflation down. We do need to align fiscal policy, as I've outlined, with the monetary policy uh, committee's decision on interest what does that rates actually mean? That what does right? that actually mean in terms of aligning, aligning your fiscal policy? It's a very, it's a very broad, grandiose term, if you will align yeah. me, but it means something a lot more severe, doesn't it, Gareth? It means the action that we've already taken, for example, the energy price guarantee, which held in, uh, held inflation in energy prices. The OBR said that that would knock about 2% off 
inflation by holding um, mm-hmm. the the duty on fuel, for example. You know, we've seen fuel fuel inflation uh, start to come down. It's taking those that that part. You know, the decisive action on those uh, factors, while also not making decisions, not not taking action that would exacerbate inflation. For example, by you know increasing uh, borrowing and spending uh, at unsustainable levels by. Uh, making decisions on taxation that would fuel inflation. So it's part action that the IMF have said is decisive action, while also making sure that we don't exacerbate inflation. That's what I mean by aligning the tough decisions that we've got to make in the Treasury with the tough decisions that the Bank of England are making on, on monetary policy. I look at debt to GDP. Your debt servicing costs are exploding, as are other nations around the world, before you caveat that for me. But debt to GDP is over 100%, Gareth. We haven't seen that since 1961. There hasn't been much achievement in terms of reducing that. I suppose the question that we hear, I've got to ask you is, are we in a more perilous position for the government bond market of the United Kingdom than we ever were under List Trust? I mean, this is a fairly brutal statistic for you to deal with. Are you concerned about a strike in owning UK government debt with these debt to GDP numbers and it's worsening? Well, you're right to point out the level of debt that we have in this country, but it's also important to uh, highlight what has caused that high level of debt. We had a global pandemic shock to our economy, which required the Treasury to step in with hundreds of billions of pounds of support uh, to ensure that businesses and individuals and families could get through Uh, the worst of that crisis. And then we came out of COVID COVID, to have an energy shock uh, caused by the first war in Europe for for decades. So uh, we've stepped in with about £94 billion of energy support for businesses and individuals as well. So it's no surprise that debt is high. What we've got to do now is get inflation down, make sure we can grow our economy, invest in our people, uh, garner uh, business investment to get that, that economy growing. Um, so that we can get the debt down. Uh, we, we are not complacent by any means. You're right that other countries are facing the same dynamics, and they are because these are global factors that have caused this situation. We've just got to keep going with our plan to act responsibly when it comes to public finances and make sure that we're boosting investment wherever possible. That was the UK Treasury Secretary Gareth Davies speaking earlier to Bloomberg's Manus Cranny. And earlier, we dug into the detail of today's numbers with our senior UK economist, Dan Hansen, and Bloomberg Opinion's very own Bonkin Marcus Ashworth. We started by asking Dan how important this data print really is. It is what the Bank of England will focus on, essentially. Um, and I think in particular, it will be the rise in services inflation that happened on the month. It came in a little bit hotter than the bank's forecast. So I think... It will be a worry to them, but I, I actually don't think it will be as much of a worry as what happened yesterday um, with the wages data. So I think that will be their biggest concern going into the September meeting. I mean, one thing to remember here is we do have another set of wage and inflation data coming before the September meeting. So, you know, it being the UK data, uh, the narrative will probably shift again. But nonetheless, as things stand now, I think it's pretty likely they're going to hike again in September and it's going to be based around that wages data. I think the data today doesn't really move the needle much in their thinking. Let's go to Marcus Mm -hmm. Ashworth from Bloomberg Opinion. Marcus, I I wonder how you feel about the market reaction to this latest set of data as well. The market's getting it right in in terms of where the Bank of England goes from here. Yeah, I suppose that at least the the predictability of what the Bank of England has signaled to us is much better than it has been uh, in previous months. So 
Yeah, I think the market uh, is being driven higher anyway by U.S. rates and also interestingly by European rates uh, at the moment. But um, I think as Dan has quite clearly laid out, uh, we are in a, in a more confident um, mode in the Bank of England, but the numbers still aren't giving them any means to do anything other than keep on hiking. The key here really is whether or not they hike by 50, which I don't think they will, and I think they've made words like restrictive and, and, and a few other little phrases, which mean that they are going to have to increase by 25 basis point as they go along. We do have another month of, of both uh, uh, payroll, employment and um, inflation data to, to see, but it's highly likely we'll get 25 on September 21st, and then probably another one, maybe two. I think, I agree again with Dan, I don't think they will go to six, but for the moment they're buying as much time as possible, but the inflation data is fine, but the labour and particularly wage data is just too strong for them to stop hiking. Marcus, there's the, there's the what you expect and what you think they should they should do, of course. Ah, um, there's, exactly. There, there, so what what do you think they sh- should do? I mean, there is no evidence yet of a, of a wage uh, price spiral in the UK, according to most economists that you speak to, including our own team. So why not just sit pat and hold on and see how this filters through the economy, particularly as people remortgage? Uh, I definitely would, th- would think that would be the, the wiser long-term action. But for whatever reason, they've painted themselves in a the corner here whereby they made very clear and they've shifted the goalposts at, at the uh, August meeting, making it very evident that they're really not looking at headline inflation so much as service sector inflation, which is back up to a peak we saw in May at 7.4. And most importantly of all, they made clear private sector uh, wage growth should be down around 6, 6.2, something like that by the end of the year. You know, that's that shot up. Um, and got even further away. So I, I don't think how they set their sort of whole credibility stall out, um, they are going to do anything other than keep on hiking steadily and slowly. And if they see very good reason why they can pause, um, and I think they'll be led by both the Fed and perhaps the European Central Bank here, um, if quite clear the Fed and the ECB are, are on pause, maybe the Bank of England will be brave, but they'll be the last to be brave here. They realise they've got a worse problem with uh, stickier core and service inflation and particularly uh, wage growth than, than other economies. And they're, they're forced to act under their own very clearly now laid out uh, guidelines. Dan Hansen from Bloomberg Economics. I mean, part of the move in the headline rate this time around was to do with base effects and energy. Are there more of these base effects to come that will kind of give us an idea as to where the, the path looks from here? And, and and what does that tell us in terms of the path for core inflation uh, when we look from here on out? Yeah, so I think the next the next real staging post for UK inflation is October. So we're going to get we'll get a there'll be a the rise in prices in October last year will fall out of the annual comparison, and at the end of this month, hopefully Ofgem will give us or by the end of this month, I should say, hopefully Ofgem will give us some good news that energy bills will fall quite slightly, not not a huge amount, but slightly um, again, and that will move into the the CPI numbers in October. So at that point, we think. Inflation headline CPI inflation will fall down to around five percent, um, and that will be obviously good news for the prime minister um, because we think he'll he'll just about achieve his goal of halving inflation. Um, the key point here, though, is around around core inflation, and actually, it, it's quite hard to see core inflation slowing much below levels we're already at. So we think by the end of the year, we're going to be a touch above 6%. We're not going to fall below 6% until early 2024. 
And I think the context here, again, it goes back to the data yesterday, which is really the big one of the, the two releases we've had this week. It's that it's very hard for core inflation to slow much if wage inflation is still going up. It's just, it just, it, it, it's very difficult for that to happen. So I think what we're going to see is this this really sticky uh, picture, and Marcus has set that out really clearly. Um, and the question, and that I think for the Bank of England, it's not really just about its terminal rate, which we can argue the toss about. I think it's actually about how long they stay at that terminal rate, and the fact that for 2024. The, the prospect of cuts are becoming sort of less and less likely, if you like, because this yeah. this picture around the labour market is just still very very tight, and they need to just weigh on it more with the, with its with the policy stance. So, I think that that's our that's our baseline outlook for now, um, and obviously okay. we, we'll continue to adjust as we go. Thanks, Dan. Really bad news for anyone looking to remortgage out there. Um, let's, Marcus, let's bring you back in briefly uh, and step back from the UK data uh, and the granularity to, to look more broadly at what's happening in terms of the disinflation or the change in terms of different disinflation globally. We see we see Canada, the surprise pickup there um, o- overnight. We've got energy prices, you've got you know, Brent and WTI, you've got gas price volatility. Uh, do you think Marcus markets may be overly complacent about the potential re-emergence of inflation more broadly? Well, certainly they are more complacent than the uh, central bank uh, general group think is. And we'll find a lot more about how central banks are, are approaching this, moving the goalposts. I mean, as Dan's laid out, I think the Bank of England has followed the ECB, which has followed the Fed. And we'll find out at uh, Jackson Hole later this month quite what how the Fed intends to continue this whole plateau uh, model which is get rates up to five five and a half doesn't really matter six probably not but somewhere in the fives and then keep it there for as long as possible to try and stop this horrid sickening second lurch up which everyone knows is going to come at some point when you get inflation down you can get the 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 headline stuff down quite quickly because it's energy and food it's fast moving stuff and then you hit the, the the sort of second round effects uh, stickier stuff comes through and we've seen that in the labor data as well and that's what they're most worried about the, the central bankers and therefore they want to keep rates now very high for as long as possible and, and price out any expectations of rate cuts and i think that's what the dynamic is now i'm very impressed how the feds managed to convince the u.s bond market that it's that's the case uh, and clearly we're seeing the ecb move there and now and then the august monetary report which saw the bank of england moving the bank of England will be the last to pause and the last to cut but you know everyone's following the fed and we will still set their stall out in the, the month on the on the big way that they'll convince uh markets that they are going to stick at this because the second any any good news or disinflation comes through as you well know markets instantly look to price uh, uh the end of the rate hike cycle Marcus, just to go back to something you said a minute ago about the Bank of England, be, you wanted to see the Bank of England being brave about this. What does a brave Bank of England look like now? Uh, well, if they were brave, they would be able to look through this data, I feel, and, and, and know that, that the downturn in the economy and, and the slowing of the economy will do a lot of this work for them. It's really a question, I think Dan mentioned this earlier, you know, if they already expect to be back into their target by in their three-year time frame, it's a question of do they need to get back in within 18 months, two years, or, do they, or can, they, can they chill a bit and, and, and let it go even beyond the sort of into the two to three year period? At the moment, they're not prepared to do that. But if they see further evidence in the real economy of, of things really 
slowing down, loosening the labor market, and some signs that a lot of this stuff that's coming through, the monetary policy time lag, which we know is at least a year, probably close to two years, that they're, you know, 14 consecutive rate hikes uh, of over 500 basis points are starting to feed through and will continue to feed through. Maybe they can they can take a bit more of, of, a, of, a, of a pause on life. But they'll only do that if they feel confident they can keep rates at this level for uh, at least a year from here. And I think that's what they're more, they've showed in August. They're moving that, they're prepping things and prepping the market to expect not so much about more, more rate hikes, one or two, doesn't really matter. It's that the fact they'll stay here for a long time. And that, that is now the new, uh, the new mantra from the central banks. That was our Bloomberg Opinion Callers, Marcus Ashworth and senior UK economist Dan Hansen. Now, turning to a different story today, we wanted to bring you a new element on a story that we've been following for several weeks now on the show. After Nigel Farage said that his Coots bank account was closed because of his political beliefs, the issue of debanking has been thrust into public attention. But it's an issue that British Muslims have had to contend with for some time. This is a story that Bloomberg's fintech reporter Aisha Ghani has been reporting on. She's been speaking with people who've been debanked. We asked her what happens when someone loses their bank account. Well, with the people who've been debanked, they typically have found that their accounts have been frozen for a few days or for a few weeks. Um, I caught up with one man, Akil Ahmed from Luton. He's a former postman. And he said his bank account, his current account, was frozen for six weeks and his wife's joint account was also frozen and in that time it meant that he didn't have access to his money he couldn't get his grocery shopping his debit direct debit started bouncing let's take a listen of what he had to say all men are created equal some more equal than others it's because it's Nigel Farage that this has all come to light otherwise they were fine with it happening to so many other people and then like now the fact that that heads of banks are having to resign and stuff. Nigel Farage weighed against every other person it's happened to, and Nigel Farage weighed heavier than all of us put together. How does that make any sense? Where's where is the justice for us? That's Akhil Ahmed speaking to you, Aisha. How wide scale is this issue? Right. So we know that a thousand people a day last year had their bank account shut down and that's been increasing year on year but we don't know exactly who is being hit by this uh, we know within like the muslim community for example one in ten don't have any kind of current account so it is evidently impacting some people more than others why, Aisha, why is it's remarkable that statistic, one in ten, is, is, are there cultural reasons for that or is this the industry and failures at the industry level? Why is it hitting the Muslim community so acutely? It's hard to know because there isn't enough data but we know that it is based on socio-economic reasons. If we look at the sort of the demographics, we're talking about people typically from immigrant backgrounds. It depends on what part of the country you're from. You're more likely to be unemployed, for example, or for example, you know, have difficulty getting a job as well. So there's, it's like compounded by multiple things. And it is just, there's just such a but lack of reporting. Lack of income shouldn't mm. be uh, an impediment to opening a current account. I mean, I opened a current account when I was 16. I had no real income. Is it, have things changed at the industry level? Why why is a lack of income or low income preventing preventing people from opening just very basic current accounts? Indeed. Well, if you look at the uh, the Financial Conduct Authority uh, release data 
from their survey last year. And in that chart, you can see that um, one in 50 Brits don't have bank accounts. And that increases with people who are, for example, unemployed or people who have learning disabilities mm. or, or just multiple things like that. And it just increases. And I think there needs to be a lot more attention to these people who are underserved. And to give credit, there are some more digital banks that are addressing these issues. However, we can still see that those statistics are still staggering. You talk in the story about the screening that banks are relying on when it comes to approving opening accounts uh, for customers. These are based on third party watch lists. How does that play a part in whether someone is flagged as a risk or not? Right, so typically if you or I opened a bank account today we'd have to fill in our details and it would go through like the standard know your customer checks. Now banks uh, have an obligation to check uh, against anti for anti-money laundering mm-hmm. and also for uh, counter-terror financing and so there might be additional checks and yes, these are based on third party databases which which will include government sanction lists and other watch lists. And so let's take a customer, his name is Muhammad. What will happen is that you will screen against his name and check for matches uh, if, if it turns up in any sanctions list. And you can set the fuzziness. So you can you can decide how you want the matches. And for example, you can include every single spelling of Muhammad if you like. And that's up to the banks to decide just how much sort of the risk appetite that they take and and the resources that they'll put into checking these customers. Um, Aisha, is this, I mean, okay, how the banks responded. Is racism at play here? Is that, is, that, is that what it comes down to as well as a lack of income? Is this about racism and how the banks responded? That's a really good question. Every single person I spoke to for lack of better, for lack of a better answer, that was their conclusion that they came up with. They thought, hey, my name is Mohammed Khan, you know, I mean, why else have I been, uh, why else has my bank account been shut down? I haven't been given a reason. I've asked for reasons and no one's telling me. And so for many years, that's kind of the conclusion that a lot of people have uh, come up with. So uh, during the last earnings uh, season, when we asked uh, bank chiefs about this, many of them said that we don't take personal or political beliefs into account. And that is what is this, that that is the statement that is given, um, but I think a lot of people, you know, having spoken to a lot of people, uh, people who have been impacted. This is lawyers. We're talking about this former postman. We're talking about people who are within the financial services industry. They believe that more needs to be done to look at sort of the underlying bias that's built into the systems and to take a better look at, even if it's not intended, who is being impacted at the end of mm. this. That was our fintech reporter Aisha Ghani speaking to us earlier and bringing her some of her reporting uh, on that subject around debanking and how it's affecting British Muslims. That is it from us for today. If you like the programme, don't forget to subscribe and give it five stars so other people can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you listen. This episode was produced by Jack Ryan and James Walcock and our engineers in audio were Marufal Hussain and Max Green. I'm Tom McKenzie. And I'm Stephen Carroll. We'll be back with more tomorrow. This is Bloomberg. Bloomberg UK Politics. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. 
Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.